When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to another Buckeye Talk. Doug Lindrys and Nathan Baird, and it's a Buckeye Fly effect. This is where we take something that happened in Ohio State's history and say, well, what if that didn't happen? What if something else had happened? And we are going to go very recent here, Nathan. What if Ohio State beat Michigan in 2021? And I think this game has ramifications, obviously, on the Ohio State side, also on the Michigan side. I think it is – we've talked about this a lot. It'll be interesting to see what history does here. Is it a blip? Is it, oh, you know, Ohio State won 19 of 20 in the rivalry. I remember that game in 2021 when Michigan got them, but that was it. Or does it, is this an inflection point where all of a sudden this rivalry is now going to become competitive on a regular basis? I don't know that anyone believes. I don't even think Michigan fans or Michigan people would believe that Michigan is going to dominate this rivalry now. But maybe it can be more competitive. Maybe it can be 6-4 in a 10-year span instead of 10-0 or 9-1. So that part of it, Nathan, we're not going to know, but it's potentially a game changer or potentially if you had to pick right now between it changes, it's an inflection point in the rivalry or it's a blip, which one would you have to pick between those two? I, I would still, I guess, probably guess blip because I think, the reasons Michigan won that game last year and the reasons Ohio State was deficient were more Ohio State problems from the recent past than they were of the moment, but we can talk about that more, I suppose. That there were the defensive problems in general last year, and I'm not saying there weren't schematic problems, et cetera, et cetera, but there were obviously personnel problems, especially in secondary, that related to um, recruiting deficiencies that preceded Ryan Day. I might actually go a little bit more towards inflection point only because if you had to guess right now, the next 10 years, how many games will Ohio state win in this rivalry? Would you say nine? Would you say 10? Or would you say closer to seven or six for Ohio state? I think I'd say closer to seven or six. I do think it took something. You had to break it. You had to break it. Because Jim Harbaugh had been close. They almost won in 2016. They were favored in 2019, no, 2018, right? They were there and they never got over the top. And now once they have, I wonder if it'll make it easier for them to do so. My guess is yes. And I think this is more about Michigan than it is about Ohio State. That I do think there was some kind of, mental block that had developed for Michigan because it was so 
drastic. And I do think in the Rich Rodriguez, the end of Lloyd Carr, and then Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke, there were real football reasons for why Ohio State dominated. Rich Rod and Brady Hoke just weren't good enough. Culture clash, recruiting wasn't good enough, whatever. But then Harbaugh got it going enough that the football certainly got closer. Nobody's saying Michigan has better football players than Ohio State. Again, Michigan wouldn't say that. But they got closer. But they still couldn't get over the top. So I think football things led to a mental, emotional thing. And now the football is closer. And if the mental, emotional thing has been snapped, I think it opens the door for Michigan to be less clenched in that game. And I think they had been clenched and they didn't know how to approach it. They didn't know whether they should do a revenge tour. They didn't know if they should keep their mouth shut. Should they be too confident? Should they be humble? Whatever. And now they can just play football. I, I think would be my guess on how that goes. So I'll lean more inflection point because I think it should have been a based on the football Ohio state should win the rivalry more often than not, but based on the football, it shouldn't be 10, nothing. It shouldn't be nine, one. It's not like Michigan's awful. Yeah. I'm still thinking though. It's like eight or seven more than six. I don't know that it's going to equate that much in the decade ahead. Things that are important to remember as it relates to this game, Michigan needed a game wrecker and it had that in Hutchinson and in Ojabo in, in, in tandem. It needed a coordinator who could flip the schematic advantage that Ohio State had been dominating with for years. It got that and in um, Mike McDonald, who's already gone. So like they've and Hutchinson's gone and Ojabo's gone. So like the most significant individual performers from that game have already all moved on. And now I I, I hear what you're saying. And probably if the, if the opposite were true and we were doing an Ohio State podcast after Ohio State had been on the opposite side of this rivalry and now they had experienced this moment, I'm sure Michigan people are talking about it this way, that just having done it, it's it it signifies something. It's something that they can galvanize behind, and it, it's going to help the psychology of this program as it relates to that game every year. But just from an X's and O's standpoint, Michigan really took advantage of that moment. Can it really, can it sustain that when Ohio state is not dropping off as it relates to recruiting and having renowned coaches, that sort of thing. But again, I, you know, now we're getting, well, if it's six, if it's seven, if it Ohio state before last year was 15 and one in the last 16 games. So for the next 10 years, Michigan wins three out of 10. That's progress, baby. That is that is much better than winning one out of 16. And we've made a lot of comparisons over the years to the Auburn-Alabama series. And could you be better than Alabama football has been? Could you be more dominant than what Alabama football has been? But yet in the Saban era, two and one, two and two. Auburn's beaten Nick Saban five times. And, and Bama's Bama. So let's see. Two, four, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So I think Saban's been there 15 years. Saban's 10 and five against Auburn. That's dominant. It's not 15 and one. So if Auburn can win five out of 15 against Alabama, 
the idea that Michigan, once you remove the stigma, can do that against Ohio State, I think is possible. And I don't, you know, I hope there aren't Ohio State fans listening to this saying we're dooming them or whatever. Is that this is what it should be? Michigan's too good. Now they weren't for a while. For a while they sucked. But now they're too good to win one out of 10 against Ohio State. They're too good. They should win three out of 10, maybe four, just the way Auburn's done it against Alabama. That will continue to be the, the comparison for me that I think is reasonable. No, and I've said that all along, like basically since I started working here, that the Michigan deficiency in this rivalry has never made sense to me. I feel like they should be at a higher national stature than they are. Like there's too many resources in that athletic program there it, it doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense that they couldn't even be what wisconsin is in some ways than than what they are and i know we'll talk about the east versus west and all that stuff but but still like michigan has been underachieving so i don't know i mean i know you don't want to make too much about like the seven versus six versus whatever but like so if, if michigan wins like one more time in this next decade so they've won two out of ten I mean, that's but progress, let's start but now. That's let's still- start now. Let's start now. Don't count this one because this was part of the old thing. So let's start now. The next 10 years. I mean, if Michigan wins three of the next 10, that's progress. That's tangible progress compared to one of the previous 16. And if they win four of the next 10, that's a lot of progress. Now you're almost to it being even. So, you know, if they only win two, it'll feel like, well, I guess, you know, I mean, it, it got a little better. But I would think, I think the over-under, what's the over-under for Michigan wins in the next 10 years? I think it's three. I do. I think it's three. I don't think it's two and a half. I think it's three for a competent football team against a very good football team. And, and, and I don't know if you believe... I don't know that. I mean, Harbaugh's not going to be here for 10 years. I don't think, but they went through their darkest cycle with Rich Rod and Brady Hoke. I don't think the next coach will fall off that way. They've made their mistakes. They went to the bad culture fit and then they reverted to the Michigan guy who wasn't up to the job. They went wrong both ends there. And I think they've learned, they better have learned from it. My gosh, they better have learned from it. So whoever comes next for Harbaugh, I think will be a sensible Midwestern cultural fit who's up to the job. And then if you're that, then you shouldn't lose to Ohio State nine out of 10 times. I would still take the over on seven and a half wins for Ohio State in the next No, it's not seven, it's seven, it's seven. So you get a push on seven. All right. You take the over? Yes, I would. Partially because I I don't think we have any reason to believe that, again, from a coaching standpoint or recruiting standpoint, there's been a separation from Ohio State and the rest of this division. It's not just the Michigan rivalry. It's been – they have that advantage over Ohio State. They certainly exerted that advantage over Michigan State this past year. And if you're expecting Michigan to win three out of ten in the next decade, then how many does Penn State win against Ohio State in that decade? Like, I, I'm just not – I don't see Ohio State kind of falling back to the pack a little bit in the Big Ten East the same way. I think they're still going to be the dominant team in the Big Ten East for the next decade. So I guess I, I think you and I are looking at it different because I'm not saying. So uh, the Alabama comparison, 
Saban won his first national title in 2009 at Alabama. They've won six national titles in those 13 years. Take out his first two years. So they're winning the national title every other year. They're nine and four against Auburn the last 13 years. So I don't think any of this, the idea that Ohio State's, I'm not saying Ohio State's going to fall back to the pack. I'm saying that rivalry games are tough. I'm saying that you should get up and play your best game when your rival is better than you, which I think Ohio State will continue to do. But I think that's not so four out of 13 is not four out of 10. But, you know, nine and four, that's that's pretty competitive. Eight and two is significantly less competitive than nine and four. And I just don't know. So 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 let me say so let me ask it this way. If Alabama and Auburn in the last 13 years, when Alabama is winning a national title every other year, if that series is nine and four, what would be different about Ohio State, Michigan, that Michigan couldn't do that same thing? I, I think in the theory, Michigan could do that. But what I'm saying is that Ohio State already is the level of a upper echelon SEC team every year, and Michigan hardly ever is. And I don't think this one game under these circumstances from this past year changes that going forward. Do you think the Michigan program can be as good as Auburn's program? Well, that's a that's a tricky in terms question of because- talent, talent, coaching, how competitive you are, the quality of football that is played at Michigan. I just, I my, the thing that I'm trying to zero in on is I don't know. Do you think the Auburn Alabama thing is a fluke? Do you think Alabama underachieves in that rivalry? Alabama is a modern day dynasty, unlike anything we've seen in 50 years but yet they do not completely dominate their rival. They are significantly better, but they don't win 90% of the time. They win two-thirds of the time. If that's the case in the Iron Bowl, then why would it be different in the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry? Because Ohio State's not as good as Alabama. And I think Michigan's as good as Auburn. So what is it? Is it that Alabama's underachieving? And you think, well, no, Alabama should be better in that. I just that to me is a good example that no matter how good you are, if it's a rivalry game and your opponent's competent, you shouldn't win nine out of ten. I, I see what you're getting at. I, I guess I still assume that Auburn will be more athletically talented than Michigan will in any given year. And I think Auburn that comes down to that. I mean, Auburn, Auburn was number one one year, right? Or no, Auburn was what was the year when they won the national? I guess they were number four going into that game. I mean, Auburn is good sometimes they're like a top 10 team. Sometimes they're a top 20 team. Other times. I think that's what Michigan is. Michigan, Michigan, Ohio state in 2016 was two versus three. So anyway, okay. So that's the, that's the thing we wanted to kick off here on Buckeye fly effect. What does it do for the next stretch of the rivalry? Does it change it or not that I would say, Nathan, if, if Ohio state had won last year, I think we'd be saying, man, they had Aiden Hutchinson. They had David Ajabo. They had Daxton Hill. They had three guys who might be first-round picks. Now, again, we can make an argument, well, maybe Aiden Hutchinson wouldn't be the number one overall pick if they hadn't beaten Ohio State. He, but let's say that they were still great, but Ohio State found a way to win because C.J. Stroud, C.J. Stroud, and it didn't snow and everybody, nobody got the flu or whatever. I think we would look and say, man, think about how much talent there was on that Michigan team, and they still couldn't get it done. They couldn't get it done in 2016 when they had this veteran team. They couldn't get it done in 2021 when they had three first-round draft picks on defense. They're never going to get it done. And I think like they were good enough, right? They were a good football team. I think it's almost worse to lose when you're good 
Because if you're terrible, it's like, well, we got our butt kicked. We'll just get better players. It's like they had good players. If they hadn't won, I think it would have built upon the mental, emotional thing. Instead, those guys finally breaking through it. Right. So I do think because it's not just because it's not like you can pretend the game didn't exist like in 2020. Well, if that game hadn't been played, well, you never would know. It's win or lose one or the other. And I think the significance of Michigan having that much talent and finally winning, I think it would have been depressing to them to lose that game with the, with the best player on the field, with having Aiden Hutchinson. Well, some of the Aiden Hutchinson respect grew from that game. I don't think we were – wasn't like we were talking about – Ohio State wasn't an underdog going into that game. We weren't predicting Michigan to beat Ohio State in that game going into that week. I'd have to go back and look at our predictions, but I – think we were all predicting Ohio State to win that game fairly easy, especially considering what they just did to Michigan State, a team that had beat Michigan. So I don't know that it would have been if, if that matchup made it seem more hopeless than ever, because part of the part of it was just how good Ohio State seemed to be going into that game, coming off of what they had just done to Michigan State. So there's an element here of uh, Michigan deserves full credit for winning that game but it wasn't the best of Ohio state that day. And I don't know if I feel like Michigan taking advantage of that on that day is such a, an uplifting thing for that program that it'll then resonate in other years where they're still going to have that disadvantage. So you think it wasn't that big a deal. You think Michigan beat them once, but it really doesn't matter that much. I don't think it, it like it changes the course. If anything, it, it, it forces Ohio State to make some of the changes it did and maybe make itself even better for the next decade than it was going to be. Huh. That's an important thing to remember here, too. No, it's on the list. It's on the list. It's on the list. It's on the list. Let's stay on the list. I just think you think there's no mental part of it. Do you think there was a mental, emotional wall for Michigan? Uh, there may have been. I mean, so let's go back to the conversation we were just having earlier on the pod this week with Austin Gale because PFF was doing that series on Aiden Hutchinson called Hutch. And that's why they were shopping him around to come be on people's podcasts. And we took advantage of that to talk about a lot of Ohio. But listen, but don't but, say that we did it this week. Cause we're running this podcast. Like, four Oh, sorry. Weeks from now. Your baby's right. out by the time people are hearing this. That's Congratulations right. on your baby. <laughs> we're banking uh, yeah, this. It's like, you just dropped in people. Like I thought Nathan had a baby. It's like, he did have a baby. We recorded it a month before he had the baby. No modern, also- no modern time references. We can also just, nope. I can also restart talking about that nope. now, and you could just cut out what I already nope. talked about. Like we keep it the realist. Like this is a professional we keep podcast. It, it's raw. Anyway, when we talked about that, he mentioned, you know, Last Hutchinson, yeah. Hutchinson, yeah, Hutchinson, kind of, you know, really being the one who led a lot of the charge about how important that game was for Michigan, how important it was to beat Ohio State, how they could still beat Ohio State and accomplish everything in front of them going into that game. But again, that presence is gone. Other presences that were important to that team are gone. And I still, I I expect Ohio State to win that game this fall. And I expect Ohio State to have a better team in 2023. And again, just relative to, you know, where those programs are right now, I still think Ohio State has a significant talent edge over Michigan in coming years. I think it's good for football, good for college football. I think it's good for the Big Ten if Michigan wins that game more often. I think they probably will win that game more often than, losing 15 out of 16, I just don't think it's going to get anywhere close to equated. No, I'm not saying it's going to get equated. Well, six is pretty much equated. But Alabama has a significant talent edge on Auburn. And and Auburn still competes with them. 
You think the talent gap between Auburn and Alabama is smaller than the talent gap between Michigan and Ohio State? No, but I not necessarily, but but in some ways, yeah. I mean, I think Auburn gets more SEC caliber. Like, that's what we're talking about here. If Ohio State were to go into the SEC, Ohio State would be able to hold its own. If Michigan went into the SEC, I think it would be what? Pretty ordinary. Alabama is better than Ohio State. Right. So Alabama is better than Ohio State. So even if Auburn's better than Michigan, I think the gap, I, I still think that the, I think the Ohio State Michigan gap is pretty comparable to the Alabama Auburn gap, I guess is my, is my final view of this. I think, you know, that's just like the 2020 recruiting rankings, Alabama's two, uh, Ohio State's five, Auburn's seven, Michigan's 10. I think that's that's just one year, but I think that's reflective. That, that sounds about right to me. Uh, 2021, Alabama's one, Ohio State's two, uh, Michigan's 13, and Auburn's 19. I, I just think, I think it, I am really leaning on that comparison. I think it is a very good comparison. And so I don't, I don't see, like the idea that Auburn is significantly better than Michigan, and that's why the Auburn, Auburn's had better success against Alabama. I don't think that's not how I see that. I don't think Auburn is significantly better than Michigan. Okay. But you do. <sighs> Ryan Harson's a terrible coach, by the way. Also, they're in trouble. But there, they've had there are some coaching things here, but there's some coaching things here that play into where Michigan was just because of not now, though. They're good. Well, now. but we'll we'll see. They just had to replace both of their coordinators. Like we'll see going forward. But Harbaugh. last year. Harbaugh has been ridiculously more successful than the recent Auburn coaches. Yes, fair enough. But I'm, but also, like, how much of what happened last year in this specific game can be credited to what Michigan's one-year defensive coordinator did? I think I don't know the answer to that yet. That's something that will be answered, I think, going forward. Okay, let's do this. That wasn't even one of the top. That wasn't even one of the topics. That was just the get us going topic. It was the, that was the appetizer. We'll be back next with the main course on Buckeye Talk. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. Doug Lamarice and Nathan Baird. Buckeye fly effect. What if Ohio State had beaten Michigan in 2021? We just went into great detail about what we think it does or does not mean for the future of the rivalry, which frankly is the most important thing. Here are six other things that I want to talk about. One, did it cost Ohio State a national title? Would Ohio State have won the national title? We have to live in the F world. Ohio State beats Michigan. Do they win the national title? Two, how does it affect everybody else in college football if Ohio State beats Michigan? Three, does C.J. Stroud win the Heisman if Ohio State beats Michigan? Four, does Ohio State make as many changes to its coaching staff if Ohio State beats Michigan? Five, what does it mean for Jim Harbaugh's future if Ohio State beats Michigan? And six, what does it mean for this Ohio State season if they were coming off a win against Michigan as opposed to 
the loss against Michigan. This is the angry team idea. And what does it mean? But let's start, Nathan, with last year. Does Ohio State, do we believe that if Ohio State beats Michigan, Ohio State beats Iowa in the Big Ten Championship? Yes. So that means Ohio State is in the playoff. I think we just assume that Ohio State is in Michigan's spot. And that would mean playing Georgia, not in the national championship game, but in a semifinal. But the bottom line is, either way, Ohio State to win a national title last year would have had to beat Georgia and Alabama in some order because they wouldn't have been playing Cincinnati in the semifinal, I don't think. So would Ohio State have won the national title if it beat Michigan? No. Is they, that, would not, they would not have beaten Georgia. Would they have given Georgia a run? Would they have had a puncher's chance? Would they have – is there some version of – now, obviously, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson would have played. Is there some version of a Jackson Smith and Jigba explosion added to Garrett Wilson – and Chris Olave, that because we talked about it all year, it's the best defense in the country and the best offense in the country. We thought Ohio State and Georgia were on a collision course. And so we're now imagining a world where they we get that game. Ohio State, because again, when Georgia ended up, so Georgia lost Alabama. When Alabama had Jamison Williams and John Mechie, John Mechie got hurt in that game. Then Jamison Williams gets hurt in the national championship game. By the end of it, Bryce Young doesn't have anybody to throw to against Georgia. This is not to take away from Georgia's defense, which is one of the maybe arguably the best college defense in a decade, but they never saw a passing attack like CJ Stroud and those three receivers, Nathan. I think that is definitively true that even Bryce young with Jamison Williams and John Mechie, even if he had gotten like two full games with both those guys, I still think maybe Ohio state's better, but the fact is he didn't get two full games with both those guys. And by the end, he had neither of them. I think there's a puncher's chance. I don't, I'm not saying I would pick Ohio State in that game. And the idea that, hey, all the, all the problems their tackles had with Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo, well, let's introduce you to Trayvon Walker and let's have the interior Ohio State offensive line try to deal with those three tackles from Georgia. I get it. My no is not as quick of a no as your no. Mine's pretty quick. Uh, and here's why. If I can channel Stephen Means. <laughs> <laughs> who are recording this the week that he is off. So the Ohio State offense versus Georgia defense is a fantastic matchup. Would have been great by like any metric. A pro football focus, Ohio State was the number one offense, 96.2. Georgia's number one defense, 93.2. Those guys going head to head. Football outsiders, Ohio State 2.08 on offense, number one. Georgia 1.93 on defense, number one. I think Georgia's offense might have obliterated Ohio State's defense. I think Ohio State's defense was, when you look at the numbers, it puts into, when you're talking about the best teams in the country, Ohio State's defense doesn't match up. In the pro football focus, there's about a 16-point gap between, like I said, Georgia was 94.3, Ohio State's only 78.3 on defense, and whereas Georgia's offense still has a 93.2 score. So out of 100, that's very good. To me, it's even more stark on the football outsiders metrics where Ohio State, what do all these teams have in common? Arizona State, Illinois, Mississippi State, Kentucky, Appalachian State, Fresno State, Florida State. All had football outsiders defensive scores equal to or higher than 
in some cases, considerably higher than Ohio State, which had an 0.22 compared to the 1.93 Georgia had on defense. These, it's, it's, this is not great podcast fodder, just be naming all of these um, numbers. But I want to throw this one other thing out there. And this relates to the whole team, but it, it shows up on offense too. You've mentioned, as we talked about the, in, in our draft coverage, the idea of the relative athletic score. And I can't remember the name of the guy who does that, but it's a really interesting thing where you're, you're going position by position and comparing how a guy com- does with, with all of his athletic traits, you're kind of normalizing, well, not normalizing that, but like 10 is the perfect and going from there. Georgia has nine guys in this draft class at 9.37 or higher. And that includes Zamir White running back 9.82, George Pickens wide receiver at 9.37. Ohio State had one. And it was Master Teague. Now, I know Ohio State has some younger guys who are going to do very well in that score in the future years. But all of these things together, I think, as I compiled them, affirmed my uh, the, the, the what I believe to be true going into it, which is that Georgia was a significantly more complete team than Ohio State. And I, I think they would have won this game, not in a blowout, but easily. I would have undressed those Yankee defenders. And frankly, any insinuation that an offense captained by myself, Stetson Barnett, could have been held down in any way, shape, or form by those sad sack Buckeye defenders is an insult to both me and my family name. I would have relished the opportunity to take on the mighty Matt Barnes and whatever he could have conjured to deal with the offensive onslaught of Stetson Bennett Barnett, Zamir White, James Cook, George Pickens, and in particular, the young tight end from the West Coast, Brock Bowers, who would have absolutely dominated any linebacker Ohio State would have chosen in that moment to attempt to defend him with. So, Mr. Baird, I respect your opinion, and please tell your colleague that he knows where to find me. We, we don't speak if we can avoid it. Um, and one thing else I wanted to mention, bring up, one other thing, that, that offense-defense matchup is, I think, still would have been a great one. I would have loved to have analyzed that and covered it and watched it play out. When you get to the end of that season, between – Quarterback, backfield, receiving core, offensive line. What was probably the biggest weakness for Ohio State at that point? I would say probably offensive line. Would you say that to be true? What was it's biggest... not quarterback. It's not quarterback and it's not receiver. What's the biggest weakness for Ohio State's offense? Uh, at that by point. The, by the but, end of last year? But all I'm saying I mean... is that all I'm saying is that they the, the Michigan game, it's hard to have these conversations where you're like, well, if they had won the Michigan game. Well, here's the thing. Here's happened. the way I think we should think about it. It's like the Michigan-Ohio State game. It's not that Michigan plays poorly. It's that we get a, same, a version of the same game and C.J. Stroud throws the game-winning touchdown pass with 11 seconds left and overcomes a okay. great defensive effort by Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo and Dax Hill and everybody else. I think that's the best way to think of it. Not that Michigan chokes or is bad, that Ohio State pulls it out. So right. let's continue well, with think- that idea. But my point being that as good as Michigan was on defense, Georgia has like three first round defensive line guys 
they're about to get taken. A linebacker that's about to maybe be taken in the first round. Uh, another second-round linebacker. I mean, they got like five first or second-round guys in their front seven. I, I, so what sort of problems was that going to cause for Ohio State? Because as many problems as they had against Michigan, I think they would have been even worse against Georgia. Now, I don't think, I've, as we've talked about in the past, Ohio State's offensive line was good. And then Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo had a really good game against them. If the idea is, well, if you don't, if you can't handle Michigan's defensive line, wait till you see Georgia's. Listen, like lots of people had trouble with Michigan's defensive line last year. Lots of people had trouble with Georgia's defensive line. The one thing is, I would, I do think we've talked about Ohio State tried to sort of just let their tackles handle those Michigan edge guys, and it didn't work. I would have been curious to give Ryan Day a month to get ready for Georgia to see, especially if you learn something from what we couldn't block those guys. And if we can't block Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo, we're not going to block Trayvon Walker and Devontae Wyatt and Jordan Davis. Now I do think the guys on the interior would have been a problem because Devontae Wyatt and Jordan Davis make Luke Whippler look like an eighth grader. And Luke Whippler is a strong young man. He's just not a 370 pound six foot six defensive tackle. So there clearly would have been issues. They would have gotten the ball out of CJ's hand. They would have run quick game stuff. They would have run slants. They would have played 12 a lot and then tried to hit him over the top. I did think all year, I said, I thought the the weakest part of the Georgia defense was the secondary. You can't go through them. You got to go over them. Who would you rather have try to go over them than Chris Olave and CJ Stroud? I think some of that would have been what they tried to do. Quick, 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 12 personnel, block it up, guys, suck it up, here we go, play action, Chris Olave. So, again, the bottom line is, was Georgia the best team in the country last year? Yes. Was Ohio State, even with its defensive flaws, maybe the second best team? No. You think Bama was better? Yes. I think both those teams would have put up significant points against Ohio State, yeah. (sighs) Bama had a bad right tackle. Bama's run game was like a big back who's solid but is not Derrick Henry. They overpowered Cincinnati because Cincinnati couldn't handle him athletically. Bryce is good. Bryce is calm. Bryce is poised in the pocket. I get all that. Jamison Williams and John Mechie, I think Jamison Williams is really fast. I mean, obviously, I think they could have had a game plan for that. It's not like three guys. I don't – you're way down on Ohio State's defense from last year, justifiably so. Give me Denzel Burke and some safety help on Jamison Williams, and we'll take our chances with John Mechie. And I, I just, and I, and I, you know, Will Anderson's great. I mean, um, but is Ohio State stopping either of these teams running the ball at all? Like you had a, you have a young defensive line that was like flashing some things, but are they going to stand up to this kind of offensive front and 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 backfield of both Alabama and Georgia? The athletes they can put on the field. If the linebackers, uh, no, you I'm still not. Got, you still got Steel Chambers trying to go up against high-level SEC talent after playing the position for a couple months. You've got Cody Simon, I guess, still playing middle linebacker with a bum shoulder at that point, or Tommy Eichenberg. You've got uh, Bryson Shaw still at the back end of the defense as your safety, who isn't even on the team now anymore. Um, you've still got problems at cornerback that had played that team all year, and Seven Banks wasn't healthy at the end of last year because he wasn't playing. I don't know if he would have been healthy in time to play a playoff game. Like I just feel like it's it's. I think Ohio State's offense was great. I'm optimistic about what Ohio State's offense would be next year. And I think Ohio State beats Cincinnati. I think they probably – they might win more than five out of ten playing Michigan every game head-to-head. I think Alabama or Georgia, either one, puts up too many points for Ohio State to keep up. 
for Ohio State's best offense in the country to keep up. Yeah, because they're they're again part of the reason why Ohio State can put those numbers up even against good teams is uh, they're not facing an offense as good as Alabama's or Georgia's against a defense that's as bad as theirs. Okay, I'm not as dismissive of it. I don't think that. I mean, Bama's flawed. Bama lost to A and M. Bama should have lost to LSU. I think you're overrating Bama. I do think you're overrating Bama. I don't know. I don't think you're overrating Georgia. They're legit. They would have been a huge problem. I would have been curious. I would have liked to see it. I would have liked liked to to see it too. And I think Ohio state would have matched up. I thought the Michigan matchup against Georgia was awful for them the whole time. Cause again, I, I mean, again, it's not like I'm reinventing the wheel here over Georgia's defense, not through it. Michigan is a, is a through it kind of offense. They're not going over you at all. And so then it's like, Oh, let's go through it. It's like, Nope. Nicobe Dean is going to track you down. You are not going to run on them like that. But Ohio State's passing game was engineered to give a better chance against a defense like that. But I also think that just the way that Ohio State's defense in 2019 affected the way Ohio State could approach offense. I think Georgia was playing with that advantage last year, too. But that defense was just so dominant. And it's not like you're not trying to score every time you touch the ball. But you know what I'm saying? I just feel like it, 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 it allows you to approach a game with a different mindset. Every possession isn't the urgency. The, the urgency that every Ohio State possession would have had against Georgia was 12 out of 10. Stetson Bennett's pretty average. Now, Alabama had the Heisman winning quarterback in the national championship game and Bryce Young, and they didn't win. So I do think that's worth keeping in mind. Um, Brock Bowers is a matchup nightmare. Their offensive line's good. It's not perfect. And listen, Zamir White and James Cook. James Cook's going to get drafted. They have a lot of good. Kendall Milton, who was an Ohio State target in recruiting. I mean, they have a lot of good guys. I, I do agree that Ohio State's defense is worse than Georgia's offense, but there are parts of Georgia's offense that are just not that scary. And that. Did Ohio State play an offense as good as Georgia's all year? Yeah. Would Georgia have been the best offense Ohio State played last year? I think the answer is yes. Georgia or Alabama, either one. Alabama, I think, yes. Georgia, I'm not sure. I think Michigan's offense in its own way was more cohesive and um, that rushing attack from Michigan against the right kind of defense. Just like one of those things, Michigan's rushing attack was the exact kind of offense to go against Ohio State's defense, but it was the exact wrong kind of offense to go against Georgia's defense. I also think that Ohio State would have had uh, a decent chance against Georgia's offense because Brock Bowers is a playmaker, but there are not – George Pickens is really good, but he didn't play that much. There's not a gazillion elite playmakers that are going to destroy you even the way that um, like C.J. Verdell – destroyed Ohio state in the Oregon game. Right. So um, I, we're going to disagree on this, I think. Um, but I guess in the end, we don't think it cost them a national title. Nobody is saying here they would have beaten Georgia, but I think it's a game. It's one of those things. Again, then you get into the, the debate of like, do Ohio state fans want it or would they rather go play this great game against Utah? Right. And you have this great win that you have momentum. And if they would have gone and gotten their butt kicked by Georgia in a playoff game, and it'd be like, oh, man, I wish we never would have played that. I would have liked to see Ohio State take a shot. All right, quickly on this, did it affect anybody else? 
because basically Michigan just took the Big Ten slot in the playoff. And if Ohio, if, like if Ohio State hadn't lost to Oregon, that's where I think you start maybe getting two big Big Ten teams in. And Cincinnati might get bumped. But the fact that Michigan and Ohio State both came in with one loss and the second, somebody was taking a second loss in that game. I don't know that the loser of that game, given how things played out, would have bumped undefeated Cincinnati. So it, it probably no, didn't have no. much effect. No, I don't think they were. I mean, there you could say the um, you know Michigan winning was obviously a huge thing for Michigan, and obviously I think though for the rest of the Big Ten, I think it was good for the Big Ten to get another presence in the playoff. I think it helps the reputation of the Big Ten. I think also, and the fact that Michigan State had the season it had um, helped too. Um, I think also Cincinnati kind of having that spotlight to itself just within the state, but also not having to compete even nationally for eyeballs with Ohio state, probably a good thing for them. They got to really have their moment in the sun. Um, so I think, but team, those, you know, the teams that were already in the playoff because Michigan won that game, it, obviously that's good for them anyway. So I don't know that if Ohio state had won the game, that it would have changed much for anybody else okay so let's go to the heisman and I, I i agree with that we sort of i think collectively i don't know if this is what the national perception was but after cj stroud threw six touchdowns in the first half against michigan in game 11 i think we certainly maybe perceive cj stroud as a heisman front runner at that point so if you now start throwing in how the rest of the season went down ohio state Loses to Michigan on the same day that uh, the Ohio the Alabama Auburn game. Alabama is beating Auburn in four overtimes in a game where Bryce Young was terrible for much of the game, and then they end up winning it. Bryce Young against Auburn ends up twenty five of fifty one, completed less than half his passes, three hundred seventeen yards, two touchdowns. So on that day. Bryce Young is vulnerable, but pulls out a miracle win, and C.J. Stroud loses. And whatever the stats are, that mattered, I think. And then on top of that, SEC championship game, Bryce Young against Georgia, they beat this number one undefeated great defense team. Bryce Young is 26 of 44 for 421 yards and three touchdowns, no picks against Georgia in that game. So you take the idea of on rivalry weekend, Bryce Young wins, C.J. Stroud loses, and as a result, Bryce Young gets one more game while C.J. Stroud is sitting at home, and Bryce Young puts up huge stats and knocks off the number one team in the country. If C.J. Stroud pulls out a win against Michigan and then gets to play against Iowa, does C.J. Stroud have a shot at the Heisman, or Bryce Young beating Georgia, would that have locked it up no matter what? I think it's a heck of a question because there's a couple things at play here. Number one, I think Ohio state had it. It was on the table for Ohio state to go in and do to Iowa, what it did to Michigan state the week before the Michigan game. I think they could have gone in and really piled one up on them. It might've been a like six touchdown passing half for CJ Stroud. I mean, it's possible Iowa had risen to the occasion and played good defense too, but they sure didn't against Michigan and they had no offense. So Ohio state was going to win that game 
comfortably, you know, how, and CJ Stroud was going to put up some major points in that game, major yards and help his case. And he would have been, I think the front runner at that point, because he was the front runner going into the Michigan game. And as you said, Bryce Young didn't really help himself that much other than not losing that game. The other thing that happens is Aiden Hutchinson is not as much of a Heisman finalist yep. or a Heisman contender. If he doesn't beat Ohio state and doesn't beat Ohio state the way he beat Ohio state. And even if he has almost the exact same game, and doesn't win, I don't know that he's even a finalist. He might, he might have been the one who was fourth in the voting instead of Stroud. But I think it would have – votes that went to Hutchinson would have gone to C.J. Stroud. He became the Midwest candidate. He became the yes. Big Ten candidate. I think that's very smart. And just it's tough in comparison. Again, we said Bryce Young in the Alabama win over Auburn, 25 of 51 for 317 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. But it's in a win. C.J. Stroud that same day against Michigan, 34 of 49, 394 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, but it's in a loss. So it's better stats. Again, it, it's a it's a 70% completion percentage for C.J. Stroud versus a 49% completion percentage for Bryce Young that day. And then, of course, we can't do this exactly, but the next game C.J. Stroud plays, he throws for 573 yards and six touchdowns. <laughs> Against Utah. Yeah. So if he had done that to Iowa, okay, well, he doesn't do that. Who throws for 570? But say he threw for 405 scores. Yeah, I think that's more likely because I don't, he would not have had to play all four quarters the way he did against Utah. I think they would have – I mean, Michigan blew out Iowa. I think Ohio State would have blown out Iowa. Is there any question about that? I don't know that there's much question. I think the Michigan State is a good comparison against Michigan State to recap. C.J. Stroud was 32 of 35, 432 and six touchdowns, and he played like a half plus a series. Yeah. So, and also, it's one of those you got to keep him safe for the playoff. If Ryan Day thinks he's playing for the Heisman, maybe you leave him in a couple. Maybe give him three full quarters instead of just yeah. a half in a series. Because you got some, you got a little bit of time to rest up. Yeah, I, they, I think you may put your foot on the gas if you think that Heisman is within reach, which it was. It would have been because he was clear. He was the front runner. I mean, on the betting sites, he was the front runner going into the Michigan game. And he wound up fourth. Hutchinson right. was second. Kenny Pickett was third. Do you agree with this statement? If Ohio State beats Michigan and Ohio State wins the Big Ten championship against Iowa and C.J. Stroud has a good to excellent game, that we would have gone to New York and opened that envelope not knowing who the winner was. Would it have been that close? Um maybe because young did come back and beat Georgia. And I think that was a big part of young's candidacy was beating Georgia oh, for sure. For, SEC for sure. So, so I think so maybe, and that would have been, I mean, there was already the young Stroud storyline guys who grew up together and everything that would have been a pretty amazing story. But I think Stroud would have finished no worse than second because he's, he's better than Kenny Pickett. Like I don't, I still don't get the Kenny Pickett thing. I think people, Whatever, small hands, and, small hands, and he would have. I don't care about. His, I just thought he was fine this past year. I mean, he's good. He was very good, but this idea that he, he's the, he just happens to be like the best quarterback in this draft class. I don't think that necessarily makes him good. And he would have finished ahead of Hutchinson because he would have beaten Hutchinson head to head. So I think it would have been no worse than second, and I think it might have been a really close vote. And I think Stroud might have still been the leader. Man, he might have. Yeah, he might have won it. Because if you're already in front and you beat Michigan, who was pretty highly ranked at the time, so that win had some cachet. And then I think the key is going in and just laying waste 
to Iowa. Almost like the 2014 situation where Ohio State mm. needed to like get into the playoff and they went in and just made Wisconsin like the 40 like knocked them out of the union almost <laughs> like it made them it sent them to Canada like if if he could have done that to Iowa then that might have been enough like if people had just been like he put up how many yards he did what yeah no i think because that's I, right at least, at least Iowa is a respected defense too like they weren't a respected offense for for reason but there was some respect there for their defense and i think if he had gone in and put up nintendo numbers that that might have been enough to solidify it i like that idea that like if you would taunt people with that. Like if you got in a fight with somebody and you're like, I'm going to send you to Canada. <laughs> oh, I'm going to take you out, man. That doesn't gonna... work for Iowa. Cause then they would be like a sort of like a Vatican state within the United States. Like you just have this one Canada piece in the middle of everything else, but kind of like Bexley is over here in Columbus. Like yeah. it's just a little, little town unto itself surrounded by Columbus. I'm going to hit you so hard. You're going to wake up in Nova Scotia. So Michigan against Iowa put up 461 yards. Michigan won 42 to three. Cade McNamara didn't throw for that much, but they ran all over him. Like Corn yeah. ran for a 67 yard score right away. They had, they ran like a trick play and had the running back through a touchdown pass. They did whatever they wanted. So some version of, because when Ohio State does whatever it wants offensively, it throws all over you. Michigan ran all over them. But like that version of that, I think it really would have been close. I think it's, I agree with that. That probably too close to a call, which is fun. How fun is it when you watch the Heisman ceremony? It's like, who's going to win? It's like, I don't know. You don't get that a lot anymore. That would have been fun. Would Ohio State have changed four assistant coaches if it had beaten Michigan? So Kerry Combs leaves, Matt Barnes leaves, Al Washington leaves, and on the offensive side, Greg Studrawa leaves. As you have detailed, it's not like the defensive issues started in game 12. But do you think it still would have been this much of a turnover? I think so, especially on the defensive side, partially because of all the things that I just I think all the things that we thought about the Michigan game, if they hadn't been emphasized with a loss in the Michigan game, I think Georgia might have emphasized them in that playoff matchup. And I think that would have triggered some of the same thought process. Now, Ryan Day got to sort of maybe start the process of finding some replacements earlier, although none of it happened until after the Rose bowl, obviously, but I think the defensive staff does still get overhauled. I think all those changes had to happen. I mean, first of all, they had already, I don't think they were going to retain Barnes as a defensive coordinator, even if they had gone on and beat Michigan and maybe even looked good in the playoff. I don't know that he was going to keep Matt Barnes as the defensive coordinator. So you got to find a new defensive coordinator. And so if you're hiring Jim Knowles again, which stands to reason that's who they go after again and would probably feel the same kind of sense of urgency to, to get him. Now he's also taking over the linebackers. So Barnes presumably still goes to Memphis to be the defensive coordinator. And you presumably still don't have a place for Al Washington. And then the Kerry Combs thing, I think uh, our guys at the dispatch got an interview with Ryan day where he said that he had talked about trying to keep Kerry Combs as defensive coordinator, or at least had, there had been a conversation about that, not as defensive coordinator, sorry, as a secondary coach. But that probably wasn't going to go happen. Makes more sense that he would end up doing what he did, going to Cincinnati. And so now you've still got to replace two secondary positions anyway. I think the defensive side of things still falls into place exactly how it did. So I don't know if you want to have a conversation about that. It's the, it's the offensive line one that I'm not sure 
if the same change happens. But I also think that one's maybe trending towards a, a place where it was going to happen anyway. Yeah, I think I might agree with those. The interesting wrinkle here, because they they did not wait until after the Rose Bowl to hire Jim Knowles. They hired Jim Knowles in right, December. Right, right. And they started tracking Jim Knowles the week that they were not getting ready for the Big Ten championship game. Right. And everybody wanted Jim Knowles. And I do wonder if maybe they were going to come in over the top with the cash, no matter what. But Ryan Day was freed up to pursue Jim Knowles because he wasn't making a game plan to beat Iowa. I wonder if that mattered at all. And maybe somebody else gets to Jim Knowles first. If Ohio state does not have the freedom to go all in on him during championship game week. Maybe. And I think it's also worth asking if you beat Michigan and then you go in and you do a 42 to three on Iowa. And now you're in the playoff. Even if you are pursuing Jim Knowles, are you motivated to go all the way to 1.9? Well, actually, it's even one of those. It's not even the pursuit. Actually, it's beyond what they have gotten the jump championship game week. You can't be out there replacing Kerry Combs as you're getting ready for the playoff because right. that would have gotten out. You would have, yeah. They wouldn't have gotten Jim Knowles. They wouldn't yeah. have gotten him. Somebody would have hired him in December and they would not have been able. You can't fire. You can't preemptively fire a defensive coordinator as you're preparing for a playoff game. They wouldn't have him. They would have gotten their sixth, their sixth choice of defensive coordinator. Uh, well, but, but as you said, but, but they had already kind of done it. I mean, by demoting Kerry Combs during the season, you had already started that process. But can you have it get out? on December 11th that Jim Knowles is going to be your defensive coordinator next year as Matt Barnes and Kerry Combs are scheming up the plan to beat Georgia. I would have taken advantage of the discord in the coach's room. I don't know. Yeah, I see what you're saying. It's it's one of those chicken before the egg things, though, because it's like, I, as we already discussed, I think that defense was up for a walloping when it played Georgia regardless. But it's just timing. So, but it's not it's yeah, maybe it's not decision. It's timing. But would Jim Knowles have waited? They hired Jim Knowles in mid-December. Would Jim Knowles have waited? Yeah. I guess I mean, but then it's the residual argument of like they didn't, you know, timing wasn't an issue when he made the, you know, when it was time to demote Kerry Combs, that's what he did. So again, I the this, that part of the decision, the de- the decision that you were replacing your defensive coordinator at the end of the season had in essence, already been made. I understand what you're saying, that it's a tough internal optics that week, too. It's tough to tell your players, hey, we're about to go play the national, we're about to go play a national semifinal against this team that's been ranked number one all year, and the defensive coordinator that I have in that room is not good enough. Right. Neither of them. Neither of the guys. So I think you're right. I think maybe you're right. So then that, then, that, then we do need to kind of talk through that butterfly, that Buckeye fly effect of even that. Because if you don't get Knowles, then whoever you do get, do you keep out Washington as a linebackers coach? If he doesn't have a linebackers background, do um, you just keep Matt Barnes if you get all the way to the national semifinal and give him a chance to come up with his own system this coming year? I mean, all those do matter, but in the end, it really is like it's more specifically – Who's calling your defense? Because we've made such a big deal about the Knowles hiring 
we can't just pretend like, oh, they would have been, anybody's fine because that's not how we're acting. So even like, I was looking up Manny Diaz, right? Manny Diaz gets aced out as Miami head coach, gets hired by Penn State. He was interviewing at Penn State on December 10th. So I don't know if we're talking about that you're on hold. You're on hold until you're done with the playoffs. There are a lot of defensive coordinators that went off the board there. It's interesting. I had not thought of the timing. I thought more about the decision aspect of it. Do you still decide to make changes? And I think I agree with you. The decisions were probably made. You were going to bring in a new defensive coordinator, and then you would have seen how the other assistants fell. But I had not thought as much about the timing. And I do think the timing would have gotten a little hinky, potentially. So I hate, I I hate, go ahead, good. I think it's worth discussing if they find a way to, if they beat Michigan that day and then they go in and whoop Iowa and now you're that late in the cycle. I, it's possible that Matt Barnes is the defensive coordinator this year. That's possible. That's possible. Cause you either it's like circumstance. We just kind of couldn't get everybody else. And you also might be tricking yourself into thinking it's fine. Well, and they were winning. Pause, we're winning. It, and there were improvements through the season, just not enough to fix the fix the problems completely when it came to that Michigan matchup. But we saw other ways that that defense got better. And you could say, well, Josh Proctor was hurt and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there were some, there were other things that affected it. So I think in a vacuum, that's not what you would have done, but with timing and with um, just what you were saying about, you know, not being able to do it, while the playoffs are still going, I think you almost would have been, I don't know. Would you have been kind of boxed into that corner? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, people, I mean, you get people get boxed in the corners on coaching stuff all the time based on timing. So interesting. All right, let's do this one. This one. We don't know much about this Buckeye talk. The idea of the Michigan side of things. We know that Jim Harbaugh had a dalliance with the Minnesota Vikings. And we know that Jim Harbaugh, we think Jim Harbaugh thought he was going to get hired by the Minnesota Vikings. And then he didn't. And he's like, oh, no, I love it, Dan Arbor. What if they lost? Would Jim Harbaugh still be Michigan's coach? Because I don't know that he got an interview in Minnesota because they beat Ohio State and because they made the playoff. I mean, he kind of is who he is. But if he takes that interview and then it doesn't work out, does Michigan welcome him back with open arms in the same way? If it's like, ah, this guy who can't beat Ohio State, great. Does it end in some kind of weird, awkward dance where maybe they don't fire Jim Harbaugh, but it's like, if you want to leave, maybe we're sick of losing to Ohio State all the time, go. Well, I, first of all, does he even get the same interest from the NFL at that stage if he hasn't come off I mean, of I taking just... the team to the playoff? Number two, but, and although that dalliance was there every year to some yeah. extent. Yeah, I mean, but, they, I, 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 he is who he is as a coach. I don't, I don't know that that's again, Hey, they played right with Ohio state and CJ Stroud threw a touchdown in the back corner of the end zone, a first round pick with 11 seconds left. I, I, we can't pretend that results don't matter. I don't think that's the reason he interviewed with them. Got the Vikings interview though, but go ahead. Anyway. So then now you're, you're 10 and two, you are probably not ranked ahead of Michigan state because they beat you. So Michigan state's probably the team that takes Ohio state spot and goes to the Rose bowl. Right. So now you're going to, yeah. I don't know what bowl you're going to. You're going to the but... peach bowl of Michigan state spot. You're going to the peach bowl and playing pit. Oh, okay. It's fine. Um, yeah. It's uh, fine. Probably you can win that game, especially if Pickett doesn't play. 
So now you're 11 and two. I think he's back. I think they would have retained him. I think he would still be Michigan's coach this year. I think there just might have been even less drama because I know what you're saying about him being the coach he is, but um, he may not have been as like, I, I don't know. I think he's still Michigan's coach. I don't think it changes that. Because it's not that it would be the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's just more of the same. And then at some point, so let's, all right, when we're doing what ifs anyway, you can do whatever of the what if. So let's say he gets, everything happens with the Vikings the same way. That they just like him. He's been an NFL coach. There was the the, the new Vikings GM had worked with him in San Francisco. There was some personal stuff there. It wasn't only like, hey, this guy made the playoff. Because Luke Fickle didn't get the interview in Minnesota. Let's say he gets the interview. How are, how are Michigan fans looking at him, though? Because th- that was like, he's coming up. This is peak Harbaugh. If it's same old, same old Harbaugh, and now it's same old, same old wandering eye Harbaugh. And as you said, he's kind of had the wandering eye. There's always been the rumors, but now the rumors are real. It's not rumors. He's in Minneapolis. That's not a rumor. And then he's like, oh, no, I'm good. I'm coming back. Ward Manuel's like, cool, all good, all is forgiven. Or is it like, you know what, Jim? You don't want to be here. It's fine but it's just time for a change. I think the door opens on that more because once he didn't get the Minnesota job and he wants to come back, it's like, you're going to fire him at his peak. This is as good as it's ever been. This is the best season Michigan's had since it won the national title in 1997. So if he wants to be here, if he wants to stay, maybe because he has no other options, then we'll take him back. It's more on the Michigan side of things. Would they have taken him back after the Minnesota interview if it was same old, same old Harbaugh? Maybe um, I, I because it's obviously there's Michigan had had plenty of reason to walk away from Harbaugh in the recent past. Anyway, they could have made that separation after last year. Instead, they decided to you know restructure the contract and, and bring him back and everything. I, I, I see where you're coming from. And then it, it, because you had Josh Gaddis there ready to take that job. And, and Josh Gaddis certainly thought he was there ready to take that yeah, job. Right. <laughs> so, which is why he's not the offensive coordinator there anymore. So uh, maybe, maybe at that stage, maybe you just say, because I, I've seen this other places too, where a coach gets an extension and because they almost took another job. And then the next year, the same thing happens. And I think because what you said before, like, I don't think Ward Manuel did say, this is business as usual, and this is okay. I don't. I bet there was a conversation this year, and you even saw it. I think reflected in the statement that Harbaugh put out that, okay, we're not, we're we're done with this. Like you can't, we can't dance like this every year. Some you yeah. got to either be here or you're not. And I think their conversation did happen. All right, one more thing to talk about. It's back to what matters for Ohio State. We'll wrap up this Buckeye fly effect next after this. All right, Nathan, so this is how it influences Ohio State now. And this is the angry Buckeye argument. I don't like silver linings. I don't like when people take every bad thing that happens to a sports team and are like, well, actually, it's like, no, it was better for them to win. You can't act like winning is the greatest thing ever. And then when a team loses, say, actually, losing is also the greatest thing ever. And there are people who cover teams that way. And it makes me want to kick those people in the shins. Losing's bad. It's not the goal. So do you learn? Yes, of course you learn. Every coach will say you learn more from a loss than you do from a win because finally you didn't get away with the thing. And as long as you're getting away with it, sometimes you don't change. We get it. Winning's better. So this is not silver lining. Actually, I'm sure you guys can 
email it to me. The first time you see somebody write a story, the best thing for Ohio State in 2022 was losing to Michigan in 2021. All right, fine. Great angle, cliched sports writer X. How does it affect this Ohio State team, Nathan? They cost them a playoff spot last year, so they'll take that. You take the playoff spot in the hand rather than the two playoff spots in the bush. Definitely. How does it affect this Ohio State team that for the first time in a decade, for the first time in a Ryan Day era, they are being driven and reminded and you assume motivated through the entire offseason, through the entire season by the fact that they lost to their rival last year? As I teased in our prologue, I think if you're going to argue that this is an important moment for Michigan to actually see the win and that that somehow may propel you to wins in the future, that now you have that belief. I think you also have to say that the same residual effect can positively happen for Ohio State. You're talking about a program where the players, as much as they said how much that game meant to them and and operated as if it meant to them if you and no one you play with has ever tasted a loss like nobody in that program knew what it was like to lose to michigan i i feel like it's going to be more real to them i think it's going to intensify what this means for ohio state we already talked about all of the residual coaching staff changes that happened because of that and structural changes and maybe even some personnel changes that have happened because of how that game played out so all of those things could make Ohio State better, not just in this year, but they could be talking, you know, guys who were freshmen last year when they're redshirt seniors could be saying that that was something that propelled them to the next five straight wins because they saw, even though they didn't play in that game, maybe they weren't even on the travel roster, but they saw how miserable it made everybody and it gave them an, that extra boost to come in and work out in a different way going forward. I do think we have a little bit of a taste of this from what happened with Ohio State and Clemson in 2019 and 2020. Mm-hmm. They lose to Clemson in the playoff. They obviously are aggravated by that. They, th- they thought they should have won that game, especially the way the game ends for Chris Olave and Justin Fields. They come back in this weird COVID year. They battle through this entire COVID year. And the specific thing we have is how they performed in the game when they got chance number two against the same team and they dropped the hammer. Like that idea of how do you handle kickoff a year later? Pretty good. Like, if that's the sign of anything, Nathan, pretty good. They didn't get overhyped. They used it as a motivator. They didn't get in their own heads. Now, how we know you handle it all year, right? I don't know. I'll be curious. The week before, the month that before in August at Big Ten Media Days in July, I'll be curious how they talk about it, how much they lean into it. Do they deflect everything about Michigan? Listen, but we've had guys in spring football talk about Michigan when we talked to them in spring football months and months and months ago, <laughs> the, because, and they're admitting, yeah, 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 this stinks. We hate, right? So I do think Nathan, that game against Clemson does show me something because I think you can get in your own head about it. You can build it up to be such a thing that then when you actually get to the moment a year later, you fall apart and they did anything but fall apart against Clemson in 2020. I do think that's a decent comparison. Now, the reasons why I think Ohio State will beat Michigan next year, this coming season, I should say, I mean, it's C.J. Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba being the two best players on the field. It's Jim Knowles and what he might be doing to this defense. I think there's a lot of things I get to 
without really even considering the motivation that Ohio State will have. I think there's going to be the better team. They'll have the better team. And it's and it'll be at home if you think that that has anything to do with it. I don't know that it that it necessarily changed anything last year. Probably helped a little bit for Michigan to be at home. I think it definitely helped them to have the weather on their side in that environment. But I just think it's more like what is does this this the next time it's more of a talent equated situation. I don't really think they're going to be that close necessarily this year. In 2023, we as we've said all along is potentially a really big year for Ohio state. So then like what year in the future when Ohio state is an underdog, if that ever happens again, which I don't really think is going to happen or where it's, where it's a much closer spread. Is that the thing that kind of pushes Ohio state through that moment? Remembering what that felt like. I do think also going back to the Alabama Auburn comparisons that we did earlier, I don't know that Alabama every year is motivated by, Hey, we lost Auburn last year because it happens frequently enough that it's not like the shock to the system. This is a rare thing. Mm -hmm. It's not often that you have like this particular experience, not that you lost your rival, but you lost your rival after not losing to them for a decade. That's the difference. And if does, if this does get to be any more equal of a rivalry, then Ohio state won't feel this way again for a long time. Because who like let everybody else down, right? We're the ones who Michigan finally got over the hump against us. So I do think, I think Michigan will be in a better place mentally and emotionally in 2022 because of 2021, because they will have punched through that wall. I also think Ohio state also will be maybe to a lesser extent though, but they love to be underdogs. They love to be doubted. They love all that stuff. So they will lean into they beat us and we're going to get them back. They will clearly lean into that. And if I was going to talk about angry Bama in the entire 2020 season, then I have to give a nod at least a little bit to angry Ohio state in the 2022 season. But um, I, uh, my guess is that they'll play it in a way that works well for them. So what if they had won? Like, do you think, do you think there is any significant tangible difference between how Ohio State season will go in 2022 if they were coming off another, just another win against Michigan. Yeah, they won. Just like always, they beat Michigan. What would that have meant for this year? Or is, it, or is it really only about how it affects that game on the last Saturday in November, not the season as a whole? I mean, all the same players are probably still here. I think it may just come down to how different the coaching staff is because that is yeah. a, a tangible difference in this team and it a lot of it was if not triggered by the Michigan game it was supported by how much the Michigan game went out so I think if if this coaching staff is relatively still the same one that they're putting out and you've got a new system coming in that people are getting excited about with because of what Jim Knowles or whoever you hired had proven in the past I don't know that I'm looking at this season a whole lot different so in conclusion which is always a good way to uh, children listening always good to end any essay with in conclusion do we agree? It feels like to me we've come around on two main things that might have been different if Ohio State had beaten Michigan last year in our Buckeye fly effect world. One is C.J. Stroud might have won the Heisman Trophy. And two is Ohio State might not have Jim Knowles. Those feel like the two most tangible things that we can see the paths of how the paths diverged. And if it was a win instead of a loss, the, but the Buckeye fly wings might've changed things. 
I think that's true. And but I still think you take the win regardless of what the long term benefits of those other, especially the Knowles hire is. As I as much as I think they made a really good hire in Jim Knowles, it seems like they did. I don't think that he's like the only defensive coordinator that could win a championship with his defense in the next two years. If okay. these players keep approving the way they have. So I think you would still take the playoff. You'd still take the win against your rival. First of all, you would take the likely playoff berth coming with another big 10 championship, which would have been in five in a row. You'd still have that streak going. And then you would, I think, roll your dice with whoever they could have hired away from somewhere else. If it wasn't Jim Knowles and put together a new defensive staff and, and gone with that. Cause they're going to have the players you think if not this year, then 2023 looks especially strong. All right. That's it. That was good. I thought that was that was some there was some stuff to dig into there. I'll be curious to see if there are people who really disagree with one point or another that we made. I, I wish there was technology that like when when people are listening to us and they start yelling at their car or their phone or whatever when they disagree with us, that that somehow registered and got back to us like we could follow it like a you know, like a, a a wave, like a heartbeat thing, like in a hospital, like just the ups and downs of, of when people are, are screaming at us the most. It's called text and Twitter, but I thought you meant a thing. It's like, I don't want to hear them. It's like, Hey, let's implant these things in your inner ears that every time somebody in the world is screaming about a thing, they disagree with that. You're saying on a podcast, you can hear it in real time. I would be walking no, around with screaming. It. Yeah, no, the readout. Yes. At the end of the day, not constantly. Oh, Oh, Jeff's driving home from work. Wow. He really disagreed with that point. Oh, great. Oh, Stephanie, oh, you think I'm in it? Yeah, because uh, it wouldn't be individual. It. it wouldn't be individual. I want to see where the most people disagreed with us the most. But again, like you said, the text, the text tell people do that. Sign up, pay us money to come tell us how much you dislike our podcast. 614-350-3315. It really is. It's the underrated part of the text subscription is paying for the chance to tell us how much you think we're idiots. It's, it's like a dunk tank. It really is. It's a $4 a month dunk tank. Thanks, you guys, for being part of it. I enjoyed that. I like what-ifs. I really like what-ifs. And I think I think it adds meaning to what actually did happen when you imagine how things might have changed if something had gone the other way. I think it, it makes you realize, wow, that, that actually really was pretty important. So I hope you guys enjoyed that discussion. We'll keep doing Buckeye Fly Effects. We'll keep doing Retalkables. We'll keep doing the Buckeye Talk podcast and keep reading us at cleveland.com slash osu for nathan baird who is at home with his baby in his arms listening to us talk about this a month in the future or a month in the past depending how you think about it uh hey nathan hope everything's going well future nathan i'll probably be asleep actually that's oh you put on buck i talked falsely uh four present nathan Past Nathan and future Nathan, I'm Douglas Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk.